Hello and welcome to episode 28 of iPhone Life podcast. I'm David Averbach, CEO and publisher of iPhone Life magazine. I'm Donna Cleveland, editor-in-chief of iPhone Life magazine. And I'm Noah Simpson, the COO of iPhone Life magazine. Each week, we, we go over the latest Apple news, top tips, best apps, great gear. And this is a really exciting podcast because we had the Apple announcement just a couple hours ago. So we're going to tell you everything you need to know about it, give you our reactions, our commentary. Uh, and in addition to that, we'll go over some uh, of our favorite apps and gear and go over some tips. So let's get started. Uh, let me start by telling you guys about iPhone Life tip of the day. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you go do so because it's free and every day we'll email you a tip, something cool that you didn't know you could do with your iPhone to make you more productive and save time using your iPhone. Uh, so go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip to subscribe. And Donna, what was your favorite tip from this week? My favorite tip this week was how to do quick math in Spotlight Search. So uh, some of you may not know, if you swipe right from your home screen, that will take you to Spotlight Search, which in the top bar has a search bar, and below that will have uh, suggestions of people you've contacted recently, of nearby places, and uh, top news stories for you there. David, did you have uh, I'm pretty sure you can do the math, too, from swiping down. That's true. Uh, you can also, you can access an abridged version of Spotlight by swiping down, which mm -hmm. gives you the search bar, which is what you need for this tip. So uh, if you swipe down or swipe to the right, then you can just enter in if you have a, um, uh, if you want to multiply something, you can do that. If you want to divide, we had someone write in asking, how do you do a division problem in Spotlight Search? Uh, so that's just doing a number, the forward slash for divide. There's no divide symbol, so you do the forward slash instead. Okay. Yeah, and, um, and so that's just an easy way to do things like uh, calculate tips, anything like that. Yeah, I like this tip because I do end up, doing a lot of quick math on my phone. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm bad at <laughs> doing quick math in my head. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, me too. But calculating tips or just I do a lot of random calculations throughout the day. On my computer, you can do it uh, using the search function, and I do that a lot. So this is nice to have a similar workflow on the phone, and I didn't know about it until this week. And as a bonus tip, I think I use Siri a lot for this type of thing. If uh -huh. I have a, especially a string of things that is going to take me a little bit longer to type in on a keypad, then I'll just ask Siri. And especially if it's involving anything like converting um, units of measurement, Siri's awesome for that. Yeah, absolutely. When I was traveling, I was dealing with a lot of uh, Fahrenheit versus uh, mm. <laughs> um, Celsius, and it was, it was really nice to use Siri for that. Um, I do also, though, you can swipe up from the bottom uh, and pull up your, what is that bar calculator. screen? Your well, no, oh, your but control your control center, which has a quick link to your calculator. Um, so I'm, I haven't yet decided which way is faster because it's definitely faster to swipe to the left and just start doing typing the numbers, but then you have to go to a separate keyboard for the plus and minus. Whereas if you swipe up from the bottom, it takes a second longer to get into the calculator app, but then mm -hmm. the plus and minus and division symbols and all that are actually right there. So I don't know, which ones do you guys use? Well, since reading this tip, I've been using the Spotlight Search, and there is something nice when you have your phone already unlocked about just being able to swipe and do that really fast. Mm -hmm. But from a locked screen, I feel like it's easier to, you know, wake up your phone then swipe up for your control center and do it that way. Oh, what about you, point. Noah? Yeah, I find myself either using Siri or using the uh, calculator app from Control Center. Hmm. Okay. See, I struggle to use Siri because 
I don't know that I always have the math problem all spelled out before I start it. And with Siri, I, I have the same problem with texting with Siri. It's like, I'll start a text and then change my mind with what I'm going to say. And Siri's not necessarily good with that. <laughs> I know. Um, all right. So moving right along, um, let's get into our insider questions. And if you haven't checked out Insider, this is our premium subscription. So subscribers to iPhone Life Insider get a digital subscription to the magazine. In addition to that, they also get emailed a video tip every day with a video explaining something cool you can do with your phone and in-depth video guides. Uh, we're coming out with a privacy guide uh, this week, next week. Donna, when's that coming out? Next week, yeah. Next week? Okay, cool. So we're coming out with a privacy guide next week. Uh, and you can email us and ask us questions as part of your Insider subscription. So we're going to get to those questions. But if you're interested in iPhone Life Insider, get to iphonelife.com insider. And we answer some of these questions on air. So Donna, what were some questions we got this week? Well, um, this is a question sent in last week. It says, hi, sometimes when I finish listening to a voicemail message, I will call... I'll tap call back to return the call. When I do that, the message will begin replaying while the phone is dialing and while the person is answering. How can I stop that from happening? So this is from Lee. And in our experience, voicemail like playback will sometimes be on loop. So if you just tap pause before calling back, that'll prevent that, that from happening. Although in our opinion, that shouldn't be happening anyway. But just tap pause before you call back. Yeah, sounds like uh, you discovered an Apple bug there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we have a second one asking from Reese how to attach a PDF file to a Facebook posting. And um, for this one, there are a couple different ways to go. Um, first, you can on your computer, um, let's see, if you have preview on your Mac, you can export a PDF as a JPEG and then post from there. Uh, if you are on your iPhone, you can get an app such as an Adobe Acrobat to open the PDF and share it to Dropbox. And from there, you can share a link, but you need a Dropbox account to do it. And you can share a link to Facebook. So there's some workarounds here. You could also do a screenshot of the PDF, which would then mm. on your iPhone, if you tap the power button and the home button at the same time, it would do a screenshot of whatever image is on your screen. Um, but the short answer is basically, it sounds like you can't actually share a PDF to Facebook. Noah's giving me a look like maybe you can, though. I, I haven't tried it, so I'm a little reluctant to mention <laughs> this. But I believe what I have done a lot is I've taken a PDF uh, and then opened it or saved it in iBooks. Okay. Mm. And so you can open a PDF and control a PDF in iBooks and from iBooks, then I believe that you can then share it. And, uh, and Facebook. Most likely fed it, Facebook is one of those options. So I haven't actually yeah. gone through that channel, but my guess from my experience with other things is that's available. Okay. So one more hack for you. So if all you care about is sharing the information from a PDF onto Facebook, the best way to do it is probably just to convert it into an image, either by taking a screenshot or something mm. like that. But if for some reason you really care about having the uh, format of a PDF, maybe you want somebody to be able to copy and paste from that as opposed to just having it be an image, well, then it sounds like Noah has a workaround for you, which is you you what you send that PDF into iBooks and then share it to Facebook from iBooks? Yeah, normally when you encounter a PDF, you can... You can tap and hold and it says, it asks you where you want to open that. And you can open it then in iBooks. 
And now then, is this this would be from a computer? No, on your okay, iPhone. You tap and hold. Oh, okay, so you, you get tap like and an hold email or from a message. A, yeah, from a web browser. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And Noah's testing it out now, so <laughs> I think we'll have an answer for you before this podcast is over, and we'll move along, and Noah can update you in a second. Um, so, time for our favorite section, complaints and things we learned this week. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Donna, what is your complaint and or thing you learned this week? Well, I've been trying out a lot of recipes at home. I've been trying to cook more. And one thing that had been driving me nuts is just that when I'm in the middle of uh, cooking and I need to check the recipe, was like unlocking my phone. A lot of times my fingers would have food on it so I wouldn't be able to use Touch ID. Mm -hmm. And I just hadn't really thought about it. I just thought that that was like the way it was. But I realized all I had to do was turn auto lock off, like switch it to never, and then my phone would just stay awake the whole time I'm cooking. Mm -hmm. Granted, that's going to use more battery, but it's been really nice. So to do that, all you have to do is... um, go into settings, general, auto lock, and then I usually have it set to lock every minute, and I just switch that to never, and then when I'm done, go back and switch it back. But that way, my phone's on the whole time I'm cooking. Anytime I go and look at the recipe, it's just right there. So that was a little, yeah. that was a little hack for all you home cooks. <laughs> That's Yeah, it's definitely something that drives me crazy. When I'm cooking, my hands are always covered in food, and then I need to access something. I tend, mm-hmm. to, I tend to use – well, I don't – this obviously doesn't work if you're looking at um, a recipe, but for little things using your phone, Hey Siri's great for that. Um, mm-hmm. I'll use the timer a lot. I'll just, uh, I won't I say it because it's going to do it and we have this problem <laughs> on the podcast, but I will say, Hey, and then the name that starts with an S and then have it uh, set a timer for like seven minutes if I'm cooking pasta or something like that. So definitely it's one of those little areas that iPhones are really useful but sure. it's also a hassle because you're not necessarily having clean hands at the time. Yeah. Um, my complaint this week is Apple has gotten rid of a feature that I really liked. It's rare that Apple gets rid of features. So it, um, with Spotlight Search, which we talked about earlier, if you swipe to the right, uh, you can pull up Spotlight Search. And when you're searching, it, it searches within a lot of different places. It searches mm-hmm. within mail, it searches within apps, within notes, um, and a couple other places. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you could order the results of the search. So for example, if I search like iTunes, I probably want apps to come up before I want emails that I've previously written with the word iTunes in it. Yeah. Uh, so it used to let you sort manually the order of which different types of searches come up now it doesn't let you it is always alphabetical um so you can turn on and off which apps it searches so let's say you never wanted to search email you can have that turn off but you can't set the order and i love that feature that you could set the order because a lot of times i never wanted i didn't want to have emails come up first or notes uh but i didn't necessarily want to turn off my notes or emails so i could never search in it and so i don't know why they got rid of that yeah that is a strange boo, boo. <laughs> i have another complaint oh, or good. actually my other a one bonus was complaint <laughs> my other one wasn't really a complaint uh, it was actually yeah yeah you, you actually learned something this week we tend to just complain in this <laughs> <laughs> i um my husband recently bought an ipad and it was really meant to be something that we could both use and i really <laughs> and it's signed in with his apple id and it's uh-huh. just not really like i can't access all of the things that i would like to with my apple id 
So I haven't been using it, and I just don't understand why Apple won't, doesn't have the ability to create multiple user accounts on iOS devices. It just seems so ridiculous. Yeah, this has been a basically a complaint of mine ever since I got an iPad because <laughs> it is we we purchased ours as well as a family device, um, and you get locked into these weird like well okay you can have your books on there as the default and I can have this on there as the <laughs> it's sort of like yeah you get this weird uh, you know and there's some solutions within that but it's not clean it's not a clean easy solution no. uh, for a family to share the device. It seems like such basic feature too like they've had it on computers since like the 90s and yet like why would they not allow that on on a ipad i don't know yeah and sadly it's one of those features that android users have had for a while yeah. now so it's a little bit rubbing me the wrong way do you i feel like it, maybe they're just wanting to force people to each get their own devices so that they can sell more devices like they want they want everyone in your family to have an ipad noah <laughs> it's it's certainly possible but i I, I hope it's not true. <laughs> yeah. The cynic in me wants to agree with you, but it seems like that trade-off of inconveniencing your customers, hoping they'll buy more products, is a, is a weird decision if they made it. Because yeah. you know, like, your the decision to buy your kid an iPhone or iPad or not probably doesn't rely on your inability to manage users in a family device. So it's a stupid thing to do, no matter what, <laughs> pretty much, is yeah. my opinion. I don't really miss it on the iPhone. I feel like that's something yeah. that's much more yeah. like a personal device it's that people yeah. are more likely to have their own, also with an iPod. But um, with the iPad, it's really a device that's convenient to have as a, sh to have as a shared family device, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that we've encountered recently that's similar is... Apple really doesn't have great options for companies. Um, mm. And so, like, we have sometimes, I mean, something as simple as in order to manage our app that we have on the App Store, iPhoneLife.com slash app, <laughs> couldn't resist a plug there, uh, it has to be under somebody's individual email address and password. And so it's under my company email address and password. And so then it's like suddenly what used to be mine is now a shared company and, and there's no way to have like a company profile Apple account, which is another just failure in management. Yeah, and this management. isn't just an Apple issue. Yeah, it's true. This is a complication that lots and lots of companies are having and, and I'm not sure that anybody has a flawless system. I mean, mm. Google certainly has uh, its own problems where they're trying to do a little too much for you to integrate everything and you can switch mm -hmm. between this and that, but, but still consistently you end up in this weird tangle of which user am I in and where's my notification coming and things like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's sort of an industry wide problem that is, that is yet to really be solved. That said, if somebody sat down and made it a top priority, I'm sure that there, there are better solutions than yeah. what we're experiencing yeah. now. Um, Noah, before we have you share what you learned, let's, let's find out what you learned about, uh, iBooks. Did you, were you able to solve that one? Oh, I failed. Oh. I failed. So, um, so in looking at iBooks, the share options are email or print okay. under PDFs. And it's not something that you can share on social media. My, my only thinking is that maybe they're imposing that restriction because PDFs can bloat to very large file types. I don't think I've ever seen a PDF in Facebook. I've yeah. seen links to PDFs because you can host PDFs on websites. I don't think I've ever seen a PDF. So yeah. it might yeah. just not be possible. Yeah. Well, so certainly the Dropbox option seems like a good one where you're sending somebody a link to that PDF and 
And yeah. you can still then all do it from your device. Mm-hmm. So Dropbox or the, yeah, the screenshot was a good idea from David. I guess presumably the nice thing about the Dropbox idea is that the reason why PDFs are useful is they're often large documents. And so you don't want yeah. to do like a screenshot of every single page. Yeah, that's true. If it's just a one page thing, but yeah. a lot of times yeah. you know, PDFs are not one page. All right. All right. Well, Noah, let's let's hear your actual complaint slash learn this week. All right. So my actual complaint yeah, slash you're, complaint you're a is. Complainer. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Um, so my complaint this week is has to do with uh, photos and photo management, which is a pain point uh, for a lot of people. Uh, and my sister recently came to town, and I've run into this issue with my mother multiple times. <clears throat> Uh, but there just isn't a really good way to manage your photos. And I, and I had been so hopeful when they got rid of sort of photo stream as being the default solution and they were increasing your storage capacity uh, for your iCloud account. I thought, oh, finally there's a solution here. Uh, but they missed a really critical element. And that is that you can't have photos that you say that you designate to stay in iCloud that are then not loaded onto your device. Mm -hmm. And so once you end up with sort of, you know, you fill up your capacity on your device, um, then you don't really have a good option. Hmm. You then have to find another place to put it. And it seems so ridiculous. I'd be happy to pay Apple to hold on to all of my photos for eternity. Like that's a service I'd be happy to have them provide for me. But you don't also want to have to pay them for a bigger phone storage. For a at bigger the same phone time. storage at the same time, and to always have to buy the largest phone. But then also, I mean, if you're collecting a lot of photographs, it's just too much to hold on your device. Yeah. And after you get, you know, past five years, six years, seven years worth of, you know, creating those photos, it becomes really ridiculous yeah. to try and keep those active on your phone. Uh, and to not have a way to just designate, okay, these ones send to the cloud and remove from my phone for me to get later. Um, just not having that be intuitive is, is really a, a missed opportunity. I agree. And have you noticed if you use the optimized storage option, which you can use to make smaller versions store on your phone, uh, that kind of stinks too, because then it takes a long time to download the photos to their full resolution. Mm -hmm. If you're wanting to like, I was trying to show a slideshow and I had that feature turned on. I should have turned it off beforehand. I had that exact same problem this weekend. But like, yeah, it was taking like a minute to load each picture and people are like, oh, this is a really fuzzy picture. And I was yeah. Like, oh. yeah. You know, Don and I in our slideshows, apparently, I did the same thing. I was trying to show somebody like a bunch of photos from my, my last vacation and it was like each photo would just slowly load and everybody had to sit there and watch it and it was really yeah, frustrating. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, I was disappointed in general because it felt like it felt like they built the feature for a single use case scenario as opposed to the reality, which is like a hundred different use case scenarios. Yeah. And they just didn't create a, a broad enough solution base for people. And I think it, I'm, to me, it doesn't fall within the like, well, we're trying to make it easy for people because intuitively everybody that I've talked to has been like, how can I send my photos to the cloud and get them off my phone? It's yeah. like everybody yeah. wants Everyone it. Everyone wants to do and that. And so it's like not having the button to do it is is completely non-intuitive. I, I will yeah. say it is much better than PhotoStream, which yes. was kind of doing the reverse. It made you think that they were storing their exactly. phone, your photos, but it was actually deleting and them. Everyone was deleting <laughs> their true. photos off their phone thinking it was that so they were saved. so awful. Yeah. 
Um, I had a funny conversation. All those lost photos I over the know. years. <laughs> All those memories down lost the drain. To the stream. Yeah. yeah. I had a funny conversation with a friend of mine this weekend. It was a similar conversation. He's trying. He he's like, so I'm trying to figure out my photos, and I was like, oh, here we go. He <laughs> he pulls up this diagram. He walks in his room and grabs this piece of paper, and he has a diagram, oh and he God. literally spent like a couple hours going through this process, mapping out where all of his photos were. And he had some photos in Aperture. He had photos in iPhoto, neither of which really exist anymore. He had photo and fo- his photos in Photos, and then he had photos in uh, Picasso and he just like and this is like the problem that everybody has they're everywhere and he was trying to figure out where to put them and he had the same problem with iPhone or with uh, photos so he what he's doing is using Google Photos now mm. which is uh, the new Picasso mm-hmm. it's no longer tied to the Google Plus um, and so we'll see how it goes I'm gonna ask I'm gonna ask him for an update slash maybe I'll try it out too and see how I like it yeah, I'll be interested to hear. One of the cool things about Google Photo, uh, and they do have an iPhone app, so it is relevant to this, is that uh, apparently they have better search functionality. Like he has uh, solar power, uh, solar panels installed on his roof, and if you type in solar as a search in your photos, it'll pull up the pictures of the solar panels. Ah, uh, nice. So it has some cool search functionality being Google that um, that is nice. Yeah. Cool and creepy. Cool and creepy. Cool and creepy. Which is kind of Google's new motto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I should mention for, for the listeners out there that for myself, I just regularly take photos off of my phone and I store them in photos on my computer and then back up my computer. Mm-hmm. And I find that workflow to be very functional for myself. But when I'm trying to communicate with all the other people that ask me this question, inevitably there just isn't a simple solution that I can provide for them at that moment uh, that allows them to solve that problem. And usually it requires me sitting down with that person, finding their computer, you know, it takes a lot of steps to, to then solve that problem. And really it just doesn't need to be there. That problem can be solved so much more simply. The other thing I recommend if you are dealing with photo storage is, um, Going through your videos, a lot of people don't realize how much more space videos take up than photos. So I had the same thing. I went, my mom was ha- having this exact problem this weekend and was sa- telling me she's going to have to pay for storage. And I went in in her videos and she had like two, three minute videos of like the floor that she had accidentally <laughs> taken and forgotten to delete. <laughs> so going through your videos and deleting any videos that you don't need is... It doesn't solve this problem by any means, but it does help manage your photo storage if you don't want to. And that's what I do. Is I'll basically try to delete photos that I, or videos I know I don't care about so that I don't have to deal with the rest of this stuff. And I yeah. just mm-hmm. let it sink in both places. Yeah. All right, guys. So we have our apps, and then we're going to get on to the main theme. Yeah. Uh, apps are gear. Donna. So... Uh, Friday, we had a company happy hour, and uh-huh. I was introduced to Face Swap, which I feel like a lot of people already know about this. It's like, yeah, it's a big thing right now. People are really into face swapping. So this is this is a Snapchat feature, and uh, basically, you get in the camera next to a friend. In this case, it was David, <laughs> and it places David's face where my face would be and my face where his would be. And it's hilarious. We were debating. <laughs> we were debating today whether it was because it was happy hour and we were a little bit extra happy, or whether it really was hilarious. But we we were all laughing pretty hard. We we had like everyone in the office was doing the face swap, and it, it's very entertaining. 
Yeah, it came up because Sarah was telling us how her tween daughter is really into face swap, and we're like, oh, whatever. And then we're like, well, let's just try it. <laughs> One thing that I thought was cool about it, though, is Snapchat is a, is an app that typically is considered, I don't know, for millennials and teenagers. I don't know. There are definitely a lot of adults that use it. No, yeah. do you do you Snapchat? T- teenage girls. Teenage, yeah. teenage no, girls. No, 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 that's not true. And at least one millennial right here. <laughs> I think I think you're stereotyping, Noah. Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, you're not a snapper. It was I, really. I, funny. I think I actually have like I've built. I've decided to build a hard wall against <laughs> ever installing Snapchat on my phone. Like it's just a decision I've made, and I don't really care whether or not the face swap is a fun feature. I've just decided not to do it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a two second defense of Snapchat because I think that a lot of older people out there don't know what it's about like me like well not necessarily you i feel like you know what it's about and you're just deciding to hate to be a hater but some people might still be open-minded so i'm going to share with them um (laughs) the benefits of snapchat in my mind are two things first of all um the fact that it's a visual medium so if you're texting with people you know you can say hey i had a cool meal and nobody really cares you could text <laughs> them a photo but there's something nice about it being first and foremost a video a video medium or a visual medium so you can text a photo or video um, because it's just like random things you see throughout the day or random things that are visual based are fun to share on Snapchat. And the fact that it disappears allows you to share more mundane things, things that aren't necessarily something you want out in the world forever, but are fun, random little moments throughout your day. Um, so that's why I enjoy Snapchat. Donna, do you Snapchat? I just re-downloaded it after face swapping because I thought it was really funny. No, I had gotten a lot of really boring Snapchats from people that I got kind of like sick of it. But I'm going to give it another try. All right. We'll, we'll I, I look can, for an update. I can give you one positive point, And that is as I was having sort of the, uh, the social security talk with my son the other day. Uh-huh. Uh, we were identifying some of the differences between different social networks and Facebook and saying, you know, identifying how sometimes teenagers can be really not that smart and throw something out there for all eternity that right. really they don't want out there. You're like, just um, Snapchat, son. It'll be gone. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were talking about Snapchat as well, and I definitely found myself thinking like, you know, for someone that doesn't know what they're doing, Snapchat does provide some <laughs> advantages. So I'll go that far. Well, no, and there there is something. To, there's something to that. No. <laughs> there is something Thus, to millennials, teenage girls. Yeah, there you go. No, but there is something. I think the experience is maybe a little bit of a unique millennial experience of being, you know, the generation that grew up with social media yes. yet is Gross now sharing stupid things yeah, but is now media. old enough to realize that hey I don't want everything that I do documented for all eternity for anyone to see yeah. and this is a way of having a social interaction with people without it being out there for everyone and especially these days like Facebook's become not necessarily just your friends like I have co-workers and I have you know you guys I really don't want you seeing all this friends. stuff yeah, yeah I have my parents friends and everything like that and it's like mm-hmm. you don't want to share like drunken photos from happy hour <laughs> yeah. but you might want to share them with a few friends <laughs> yeah yeah and so it does it does have that that purpose I'll go ahead and 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 give it that but I do think that it it is something that has a certain use case scenario that my generation and older generations 
really don't have that much use for because mm -hmm. it wasn't available until the point at which we were mature enough to know that we shouldn't be sharing things we shouldn't be sharing. <laughs> right. Fair we'll, enough. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to sum summarize, this is a fun feature. When I started to say, this is a fun feature that even if you're not interested in using Snapchat for the Snapchatting, it's a fun thing to do. It's entertaining if you're just sitting around. Um, so my app for this week is related to March Madness. So this is March Madness, college basketball playoffs, so to speak. And I've been following them too much. I've been do pretty much doing nothing but work and watch basketball. And there is an <laughs> Apple TV app now for March Madness. And this is one of the best examples I've seen yet of an Apple TV app that is taking advantage of having it on Apple TV as opposed to just cable. And so right. what it lets you do is it lets you scroll between any of the games and you can put one up and switch to the next and you don't have to like navigate your whole guide of all your channels. It shows you the score of the game in, the, in a snapshot. It shows you the upcoming games and it lets you put games on side by side and you can switch volume from one to the other. That's so cool. Very cool. It was really cool. Do you have to pay cool. for this? Uh, you don't have to pay for it, but you have to have a subscription to cable. So it's not for uh, cord cutters. Uh, it's not for cord cutters, but it's a, it's a better experience than watching it through cable, even though you have to have cable to use it. Yeah, well, and a lot of games are on True TV, which I don't have a subscription to, but somehow because I had a subscription to Dish, it let me access the True TV games. Mm. So I don't know What's what... What's True TV? True TV is a TV station that nobody knows what it is except for during March Madness. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think it actually... I was reading a little bit about it. It started out covering like court TV during the OJ Simpson trial. Uh, interesting. And now it's part of the Turner Network. And so they just throw games on there. Um, I, don't, I have no interest in it other than to watch basketball games. Um, but it, it was a little bit glitchy, so it isn't perfect yet. Like the quality of the games w wasn't as high. And sometimes <laughs> when I was sharing, when I had two games on side by side, it would actually play the volume from both and I'd have to like close it out and reopen it. So mm -hmm. it's not perfect, but it was the first example I've seen of utilizing Apple TV over cable for a potentially better user experience. Noah, Very cool. Yeah, it was great. Noah, apps or gear? Um, let's see. I'm going to go with Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> I opened your mind. You're excited about it now. <laughs> no, um, I'm going to go back to my spec wallet case. Okay. I, uh, I was using an OtterBox for a while that had sort of a flap on the front and I could stick my cards in. Um, but after using it for multiple months, I had to go back to my favorite, which is uh, a nice uh, sort of soft um, rubbery case made by spec uh, that has the ability to throw in three or four cards in the back uh, or a couple of bills folded over your cards. Um, and I've just found having a wallet case in general just to be enormously freeing not having mm -hmm. to bring a wallet with me um mm -hmm. you know i only keep you know like a 20 dollar bill or two 20 dollar bills you know wrapped around a couple of cards and it gets me through just about everything that i need <clears throat> and i'm so happy just carrying my phone and not a wallet and so mm -hmm. spec check it out nice i haven't been able to quite to quite get there, I tried using a phone uh, wallet case, but I, I just had a few too many things to carry around. I have like, 
quite a few credit cards that I'm using like for different, like I have one for house expenses, one, I have two for the company, I have one for my personal stuff and I just had too many credit cards and too many like other things. Yeah, I will say that in, in going through the process, similarly, I just had to decide I cared enough about it to simplify. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I went ahead and maybe don't have, uh, am not able to take advantage of every card that I have or things of that nature. Uh, but it was important enough to me that I felt like, eh, I'm just going to simplify. I think the point in which I'm going to be willing to go there is when Apple Pay is universally accepted. Because then I can have all my cards and presumably a lot of other like, you know, VIP membership and, you know, gas cards and whatever else on my on my phone and Apple Watch. And then I probably have very few things that I need to carry along alongside that. Uh, but until it's universally accepted, I, I'm just I'm not ready to go there. Mm. Just do it. <laughs> How about you, Donna? You, I'm a, are, are you a proponent of the... Uh... <laughs> Each purse I buy is larger and larger, so I'm really not the right person to ask. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wonder if this is strictly... I mean, never, nothing's ever strictly, but I wonder if this is primarily a, a, a guy solution as opposed to a girl solution. I guess I would maybe use it on the weekend, like if I'm going out at night, mm-hmm. um, because then it's really, you know, you don't want to get your have your purse get stolen and things like that. So yeah, and like I'm fine usually just taking one card, my ID, and some money or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to, I would just have to use that for like a shorter period of time. It's true. And when I had a a wallet case, that's what I would do. I wouldn't use it as my regular wallet. But if I were just going out at night and I didn't want to have to bring a ton of stuff with me, then I would do it. So. Yeah. There are solutions out there. Spec. Yeah, there you go, spec. All right, let's move on to the Apple announcement. I know, everyone's been waiting to hear I about it. I know. Okay, so let's start with just a really basic summary, and then we'll go into each product and get tell you what happened and what we think about it. So the major things announced at this were what? We have the iPhone SE, which is a 4-inch iPhone. Uh, mm-hmm. We have the iPad Pro smaller version, which doesn't have a name other than... 9.7 inch. Yes, iPad yeah. Pro 9.7 inch, which is not the catchiest of things, but that's okay. Uh, and Which is basically many of the features, and we'll get into all of this, of the iPad Pro, but in a 9.7 inch, which is the same size as an iPad Air. And we have uh, a, a few other kind of ancillary things and of course 9.3 which had been in beta for a while now actually came out today so let's get into all of it let's start with the iphone se tell us about it donna what does it have so we've been hearing a lot about this device in the in recent months and it's kind of the new uh more exciting version of the budget iPhone. Uh, it's a four inches, so it has the same body style as the iPhone 5, mm-hmm. um, but it has many of the internals of the iPhone 6S, and it's only $399 for the base model, and that's cheaper than we've ever seen a new iPhone be. Um, so it has a 12 megapixel camera, an A9 chip. It has Touch ID. It does not have 3D Touch. So that's mm-hmm. one of the big differences between the iPhone 6S and the iPhone SE. So basically, in a nutshell, what they did is they took the form factor of the standard 4-inch phone, which is the iPhone 5, and they added all the internal specs of the iPhone 6S. Um, And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a fusion between them. Yeah, I would say my first reaction was, 
they learned a lot from the iPhone 5C. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. my first The iPhone too. 5C was not a very popular phone, and they tried to candyize it, and it just didn't really turn into something that felt like it was a serious option for serious people. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I felt like this one may have swung a little bit too yeah. far in the other direction. Because this is a very serious phone. I mean, the only thing that I could tell that it's lacking is the force touch, the 3D touch. touch. Um, And everything else is like, it's better than my iPhone 6. You know, I don't have the 6S yet. And I'm thinking like, man, this thing is actually more functional from from the insides than the phone that I currently have. Um, And and they didn't seem to really cut back in, in many areas at all. I mean, normally they skimp a little here and skimp a little there. But they really filled this thing up. It's a strong phone. Yeah, I mean, it, that was the thing that I had a very similar reaction. It was the 5C failed because it didn't hit two things. It didn't, number one, it didn't hit the right price point. It was 549 Yeah, so it, so it was only 100 bucks savings. It was only 100 bucks savings. And it also was really dumbed down. So they kind of did the reverse here where they made it quite a bit of savings but they had like all of the features. Um, and yeah, I mean, so it has two gigabytes of RAM relative to the iPhone 6, which has one gigabyte, the 6S has two, has a better camera than the iPhone 6. It's a better phone than the iPhone 6. It's pretty crazy. And it's a cheaper phone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I was disappointed though, this is, is the body style. Mm-hmm. I, I was excited about the four inch iPhone because uh, I have a lot of friends and and I myself feel like there's something to be said for that smaller screen and just having something smaller to carry around. But it's it has that same body style as the iPhone 5 where it's like square edges mm-hmm. and kind of chunky. Mm-hmm. Like I was hoping they were going to do a four inch phone and then have a similar like rounded kind of like stone edge that they have on the iPhone 6. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have that. Yeah, it was interesting that they chose not to redesign it in any way. Yeah, uh, I, I, so I almost that's feel where they like decided to kind of make savings. I don't know. That's what I feel like. I feel like they have their manufacturing for that phone just down, and they didn't want to mess with it. They have all everybody has all the cases for it. It was like they just decided to go for cheap and good, and not necessarily go for stylish, which is not an Apple move. Yeah, it's very interesting that way. I mean, my. You know, the the practical part of my nature is sort of like, oh, this is great. There's a bunch of iPhone 5 cases out there that are well-developed, you know, that I even own some of. And they now just, you know, have some new life and new purpose. Um, And so from that perspective, I felt really good about it. Um, I also felt like they didn't want to make the move potentially because they're not branding it as the 6. It's almost like a justification for making it free. If it doesn't quite yeah. look like the latest one. So I, I almost feel like they didn't make the change so that they can charge more for the 6 uh, and the 6S. It's true. If it looked like pretty much exactly the same, had all the same features, but was a little smaller and it's like basically half the price or it's a yeah. two thirds the price, that's yeah. kind of weird. You know, every time I talk to somebody who's thinking of getting a new phone, I inevitably have the same conversation with them, which is basically, do I need to pay for the newest one or can I get the one generation back? And every Mm -hmm. single time 
I, I really strongly advocate for the newest phone because it has all of the internals. It's able to run the latest operating system better, it's faster, the camera's better, and you pay so much for your service plan that it's worth spending an extra 100 or 200 bucks. This is the first time where I can't justify that anymore. I honestly think unless you care about a bigger screen, this is the right option for you. Which in some ways makes this a really successful, you know, offer for them. But in other ways, it's unusual because it's cannibalizing for a cheaper product, which is an unusual move for Apple to make. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, some of that I'm sure they can control with their marketing. Uh, you know, where are they promoting it the most? And I'm sure that they're picking the areas where they feel like they need that cheaper option to lock into the ecosystem and they're going to promote it most in those areas. So I have, I have trust in their ability to make the most of the opportunity, but I agree. I think there will be some cannibalization of their higher end phones because it is a really excellent phone. It's a great deal. And they sort of positioned it in this ideological way, like tons of people told us they want a smaller phone. Mm -hmm. And you have Steve Jobs that came out, you know, multiple years ago saying, we're never going to make a larger phone Mm -hmm. because your thumbs aren't just aren't big enough to handle, you know, Mm -hmm. a larger phone. And so there was some sort of like, almost like, you know, protecting that, that comment and that legacy that he had (laughs) left where they felt like, you know, we really want to keep providing this smaller phone for people. Well, it also allowed them to not say, we made a cheaper iPhone, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Although I get some satisfaction out of this because I feel, I felt like it was getting a little ridiculous the move towards just, uh, devices that are, have larger screens and are thinner. And like with all the phablets, it's just kind of, to me, it was like a little bit comical almost. And just now this is like a bit of a move back towards a smaller device, which I think it's just interesting how like it, it just changes year to year what's considered cooler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I kind of like that. And I will say I know a lot of people who genuinely did not like the bigger phones. They yes. were going out of their way to get smaller phones. I mean, I talk to people almost every day who have that, who aren't, who are willing to pay for a better phone but didn't want the bigger screen. I mean, I kind of feel that way with the iPad, the original iPad Pro, that it was this large screen that's almost like it as thin as a piece of paper. It it's just weird. Big. Yeah. But it was kind of the extreme version of what was considered cool at the moment. But I don't know if it's really that nice to hold in your hands. I will say this. my Because whenever I talk to these people who really strongly prefer a four-inch screen, Almost every single one of them has stuck with the foreign screen as opposed to upgraded and then decide they didn't like it. Almost everybody I talk to who has upgraded to a bigger screen, at first the transition can be a little bit awkward because it is a little bit too big for your thumbs, especially if you have smaller hands. But ultimately, I think people learn to prefer it. That was my experience. I mean, reading and watching videos. It's worth it to have a bigger screen. Yeah, and that's that's the experience that my wife had as well. And she has hands that are quite small. Uh, and she was very nervous about making that switch. And, mm. and it didn't take more than a week or two mm-hmm. before it was like, she picked up her old phone to make sure that like things had copied over. And it was like, oh my God, it feels this like is so a, much worse. It feels like a toy. Yeah. Like, whenever I use an old phone now, it feels like a toy. Yeah. So in some ways, it does feel a little bit like delay, delaying the inevitable. That said, I'm sure there are people that don't fall into that spectrum that yeah. really dislike it, mm-hmm. that have had their hands on the phone and just don't like it. Well, that's why I wish they'd redesigned it, though, to be smaller, but make better use of the screen 
uh, like have it be more edge to edge. Yeah, that would have been cool. Yeah. That didn't happen. Or not yet. Yeah. And I think if they did that, I would consider getting it. That was my next question. Is well actually no, you had one more comment first. I was gonna say, yeah, the the one group that they're missing with this, and I think they did a great job. So all in all, I think it's a great phone. But the one group they're missing is what you identified, Donna, is the person that wants the the social respect of having the latest looking <laughs> phone <laughs> and having a smaller four inch screen. And that and must that, be what that, they purposely did. And yeah. they, they missed that a little bit. And I think what the comment you made earlier, they I, they probably deliberately missed that group because yeah. they want those people to have to pay more yeah. to get that social respect. I mean, there's <laughs> getting yeah. the mind of a marketer right here. So yeah. I guess um, this isn't really a move back to four-inch phones being cool. It's more like offering that, but... For the people who didn't don't care about being cool, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then my next question is, for your next phone would you consider getting this? Or are you going to get the iPhone 7? Obviously, we don't know the feature of the iPhone 7, but you know my what I mean. Are, would you consider spending less for a smaller screen, but basically the same phone? Uh, I'm in the business of iPhone life, so, so no. It, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but that said, I agree. It's something that I wouldn't be hesitant to suggest to a friend mm-hmm. if I felt like it fit their needs best. And I would, I would get a smaller phone if it was the newest phone, if it was that had all the newest features, but that's not really what this device is. I see. So, but I mean, really the only feature it's missing is 3D touch, right? Yeah, but that's considered the, the coolest feature, yeah, right? feature okay. which, I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but the design does matter to me. Mm-hmm. And I recently was holding my mom's iPhone 5 and it does it really feel clunky, chunky. Right? Yeah. But the iPod Touch is another example of a device that feels really sleek and and um, light. Mm-hmm. And so if it was something that was kind of like that, mm-hmm. but a smaller screen, then I would consider it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the bigger screen, like I said earlier, I now have learned to love it and I, I wouldn't give it up. Um, and also, obviously, because of the business, I'm obviously going to have the the like newest, greatest Apple phone because I write about and talk about it every day. But imagining I wasn't that person, even so, I think the bigger screen is worth it to me. Um, and I, but I definitely think you can easily justify the newer phone. But I really do recommend if you are thinking of getting this phone, spend a little bit of time with a bigger screen before making that decision to see if it's something you can get used to as opposed to just feeling concerned about the bigger screen without trying it because my experience is most people get used to it and actually learn to like it better. Hmm. All right, iPad Pro 9.7 inches. I can't get through it without kind of like stumbling over this. So what is it? Uh, Donna, what do, what do they have? What was announced with it? Well, it's it seems like a hybrid between the original iPad Pro and the iPad Air 2 in that it's the same size as the iPad Air 2 mm-hmm with all the same features as the iPad Pro, meaning that it uh, it's compatible with the Apple Pencil stylus. It has this- They really don't want you to say the word stylus. <laughs> it's a total stylus, I'm right there with you, but they okay. would hate you right now. <laughs> it's compatible with the Apple Pencil. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it, um, it has four speakers like the iPad Pro does. Um, it They were really touting it as a laptop replacement, which was interesting. Uh, it has True Tone. It's the only device now that has True mm-hmm. Tone, which means that it adapts to the room that you're in. Um, like uh, Noah, you had a better sure. explanation than I did. <clears throat> yeah. So with True Tone, what they've done is they analyze the color temperature of the location that you're in, 
and then they match the screen temperature to make that screen feel like it's at home in that room. So if you're in a room that has a warmer temperature, color temperature, then your screen will feel warmer. The same way you take a white piece of paper and you bring that white piece of paper into a room with a warmer temperature, that piece of paper has a warmer color. Whereas if you take mm. it outside, it's gonna have a bluer, brighter color. And so when you take your iPad into a bluer, brighter environment, then the screen then matches it. And so what ends up happening is you have more of a, um, more of a relaxed relationship with the screen. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's so much, uh, you know, bursting out of its environment, but rather responding to its environment and being in that space with you. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting idea. It just makes it seem more like natural. And it, it almost sounds like a chameleon or something that's just like <laughs> shifting colors. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, and then the last point with it, it starts at what? Oh, six five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. Okay. So that is the um, the other iPad Pro is seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine, and the iPad Air two was four ninety. Started four ninety nine. Yeah. But the iPad Air two started with a sixteen gigabyte model, which no one should ever get with an iPad. Yeah, Whereas especially the, with an iPad. Yeah, with the iPad Pro nine point seven inch edition, uh, is. 32 gig. So it's not exactly an apples to apples comparison, but it starts at 599. Yeah. And usually for that bump in storage, you're going to pay an extra hundred dollars anyway. So you're paying that hundred dollars plus getting a lot of features that the iPad Air 2 doesn't have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it seems like, you know, that was one thing with this announcement is both the iPhone SE and the iPad Pro 9.7 inches are good deals. Yeah. they, They seem to have been very price conscious in this announcement, which is not always the case with Apple usually keeps the price the same. They don't raise it. They don't lower it. They lowered the Apple Watch price too. We haven't mentioned that yet. That's true. So mm-hmm. they're they're getting aggressive on their pricing, which makes me wonder what's going on inside Apple, whether they're maybe not selling some of these other products. You know, they you know iPad sales have been slowing down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Apple Watch sales, they don't break out, but getting aggressive on prices makes me think maybe they're struggling in some of these areas. I mean, the iPhone, we've been getting numbers on that, and it seems like they're doing well, mm-hmm. but with, they might be going more for developing uh, markets. Yeah, yeah. So what are you guys' initial reaction to the I, the new iPad Air? No. Nope. New iPad Pro. 9.7 <laughs> 9.7 inch. 9. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my first reaction was to drool slightly and mm-hmm. think, oh, I would really like one of those. Uh-huh. So I had a very positive reaction to it, and more so than the very large iPad. There was something about the very large uh, 12 point, what is it, 12.9? yeah. 12.9 inch iPad that um, that felt maybe just a little bit ridiculous for my <laughs> specific purposes. For somebody, you know, I, I can definitely see how for some people it makes sense. But for me, it just felt a little bit like I would have this huge screen. Super and, Yeah, it yeah. just felt like it was drawing attention. So with this one, I'm thinking more like, oh, that, that size makes more sense for me. I don't feel like it's quite as unwieldy. Uh, but the other advantages, uh, you know, the better sound quality, uh, the true tone I really enjoyed, um, and, the, um, uh, and some of the upgraded features uh, that we're about to get to along with the keyboard uh, and whatnot seemed like Uh, it would help me move in the direction of my iPad being more functional. Whereas right now I use my iPad mostly as an entertainment device. I Mm -hmm. rarely use it 
in a work functional capacity. Uh, and I felt like this was bringing me closer to that area. I don't know that it necessarily crosses over, uh, but it was bringing me closer. Mm. For me, I wasn't, I have to admit, I wasn't that excited about it. Um, I was pretty excited about the iPad Pro when Apple announced it, but really after spending some time with it and uh, just analyzing it in some of our earlier podcasts, we really were finding that it's not a viable laptop replacement at this point. And if it's not, yeah, it's not worth paying the money for a device like that if it's not going to do that. And with this, it's even less of a laptop replacement as far as I can tell. Um, and it's just a little smaller. I don't know. I just was a little underwhelmed. Mm. Yeah, I had kind of mixed feelings. I, on one hand, there wasn't any one innovation that was like exactly drool-worthy. Uh, but overall, it felt like iPads in general had become a little bit stagnant, uh, with the exception of the iPad Pro, which I agree with you guys, I wasn't interested in. It was too big. It was too expensive. I wasn't going to use it in addition to a laptop, and it wasn't going to replace my laptop. Whereas this, I use my iPad every day. I probably use it more than my uh, laptop. Really? Yeah. And I think the, the true tone appeals to me because I often... Uh, it's, I, I do what you're not supposed to do, which is I'll, I'll check my email right when I wake up. <laughs> uh, and I'll, you know, I'll often maybe read in bed before going to bed. And it's like, I, it's, I'm often in low light situations where I, I find myself messing with the brightness a lot, trying to make it look normal because it's like too bright in a dark right. room. So that appealed to me. Um, it has a nicer screen, which we forgot to mention. It's, it has the nicest screen of oh, any of the iPads. The brightest mm -hmm. screen of all the iPads. Brightest of all and, tablets. And more color. Contrast ratio. Contract ratio. Contrast ratio. Thank you. Um, so I feel like, you know, the iPad Air hadn't improved that much over the last few generations. I think I have an iPad Air 1. Um, so I'm tempted by this. It, all the features add up to being like, oh, maybe I could use this. Also... I find myself traveling with a laptop and my iPad, and I still don't think that this will be a laptop replacement for like everyday work, mm -hmm. but I find myself maybe thinking this could be a travel laptop replacement. Even for work? I think so if I got a keyboard, but I'll keep you guys posted on that thought. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about it. Interesting, interesting. It had, it had the full multitasking. Yeah. I don't know. I'm nervous about that, but I also am tempted by it. Also, I just really... I'm a sucker for Apple products. Let's call it what it is. <laughs> but with the, um, they also announced USB um, adapters for SD cards and, uh, well, a special USB to Lightning adapter. Would that help with work at all? It would for some people, not necessarily me. Yeah, definitely. The advantage uh, of the new adapter that they introduced is that it has a powered option for USB, and so you can plug in a USB device to your iPad. Um, that requires a lot of power, which wasn't uh, available previously. And so that expands quite considerably the amount of devices that you can have then interface with mm. your iPad. So like, that's what are some examples? Of well, um, hard drives. Um, oh, I mean, I'm trying to think of... of, of cameras one of was one of the ones cameras, that they were definitely. using. Yeah. Um, and so it's for anybody that has that specific device that they are used to plugging into their computer. And I always use mm. my USB to... Microphones is another example. Microphones, good example. Um, 
it definitely has a, a huge advantage for those people, and mm-hmm. and it tends to it tends to break along the lines of something that is um, something that is slightly more professional level. Like right. if you have a professional need, then oftentimes you have a higher powered device, like a larger hard drive or a microphone that requires the power, things like that. That is a really interesting thing because with an external hard drive, if you're using your iPad Pro for video editing or something, you could be attached, you could attach an external hard drive that has, you know, an extra um, terabyte of space or something that you could probably create something a lot more professional level. They also mentioned recording podcasts Mm -hmm. as something that it would allow you to do. Um, Also connecting to Ethernet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, connecting to Ethernet for some people is going to be a big one because um, oftentimes there won't be a, a, a Wi-Fi option in some places, especially in some work Offices, environments yeah. uh, where you're going in and, and they've got a you know a plug that you can plug into, but they don't have another option for you or they don't want to share the password of the one that's mm-hmm. there. Uh, so definitely there are, there are many scenarios where that's going to be beneficial for people. Overall, I think my assessment is I don't know that they did enough to justify upgrading if you have an iPad Air 2. Um, but iPad, I love my iPad. I use it every day. I think that if you can afford it and you can justify it, you should get an iPad because they're great. It's really a much more personal computing experience than a laptop is. And I think that this is, they did enough to to upgrade it where I feel like this was a good upgrade. And if you were to buy a new iPad, you shouldn't get the iPad Air 2. You should get this one. So I think they did their job in that, um, but yeah, I don't know that it's worth upgrading if you if you already have an iPad. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they successfully breathed a little more life into the category, mm-hmm. but I also agree that they didn't necessarily cross over to the to the laptop replacement. And they really tried hard to sell that this time. They and, did, and I still wasn't sold. Unfortunately, it's a software problem, not a hardware yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. So really, the software hasn't quite caught up to the point where it allows enough capability, and it's a hard one because they're they're struggling between the difference of making it really intuitive for users to be able to use the device, mm-hmm. uh, but then also having the complex complexity of being able to handle a, a higher professional end uh, software environment. And to be honest, I think that, um, that Microsoft has handled it better. I think that really what you need, if you want to call a device a pro device, is you need to let it switch operating systems between a mobile interface and a more traditional desktop interface. And there's a lot of more hybrid for Microsoft, and mm-hmm. Apple's resisted it, but I think that's the solution. I really do. I agree. I don't know if I agree, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move along with that. <laughs> Um, but let's actually move along Uh, 9.3 is our last thing to talk about here Uh, there's Go ahead. Apple Watch. We've got it. All right. Yeah. Let's let's just so, fill them in Okay. They didn't update Apple Watch. We don't have an Apple Watch 2 yet. Uh, but what they did come out with is some nylon bands. That are really ugly. Uh, that Donna thinks are ugly. They're not that bad. No, and I don't dislike that much. They, they <laughs> fall more on the functional end of the spectrum than on the designer end yeah. of the spectrum. They're um, really functional, guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're, we're really functional selling is important. Up. Functional is important. What I will say is that I don't particularly like their kind of rubber uh, watch band that the yeah, Pro comes true. with. Yeah, and so what I tend to use, I have a third-party leather band that I'll use, but then I can't 
exercise in it because leather when it's when it gets sweaty it's just gross yeah, it can get stanky yeah <laughs> and you can't go swimming with it um and yes i do swim with my apple watch i'm uh, i'm a risk taker guys uh, <laughs> it's a rebel yeah i'm a rebel uh so what i tend what i often use especially in the mm. summer is i have a nylon watch band that i've been really happy with mm. now personally i think mine looks a little better than the ones they designed i agree uh and it's mono wear so you can go check that out um, and i also have a mono wear third-party band which i really like yeah so I don't. I, nylon bands, I think, are a very practical solution because they look nicer than the rubber. I'm sorry. What is mono wear? Oh, mono wear is the brand. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, mono yeah, is yeah. A, I'm a like, shout what, out to the brand. What does that even mean? Oh, you don't know mono wear, Noah. <laughs> yeah. Good clarification, though. Maybe you that thought was it was something obvious. like metrosexual yeah. or something. You're missing. Like, by the way, it can be for men or women. <laughs> yeah. No. Especially because John is like, I also use mono wear. <laughs> It's a brand. Okay. Go to monoware.com. Yeah. Um, but they dropped the price of the Apple Watch as oh, well yeah. there to you $2.99. Go. Uh-huh. And it used to start at $3.49. So that, I mean, that to me is more exciting than the nylon bands. That is more exciting. If you've been kind of looking for an excuse to get an Apple Watch, and I think you should be looking for an excuse because they're fun. Yeah. I get accused. I love mine more and more, even though John Oliver just made fun of them last week. Yeah, and <laughs> I know. And your friends make fun of you for them all the time, too. Yes. I have really mean friends. David called me out on like not wearing my Apple Watch around a certain friend that makes fun of me every time. So now I just now I've like decided to wear it. Good. I'm glad I was able to cause more tension in your relationships. <laughs> um, I get called out in the podcast every once in a while for being a fanboy. So I'm sorry. I get really enthusiastic about this stuff. I love my iPad. I love love my Apple Watch. Um, I try to bring a little bit of cynicism and skepticism into this, but I'm, I'm going to be a little bit apologetic and slash unapologetic that Apple Watches are great and you should get them. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> no, you don't have an Apple Watch. You want to counter my point? Uh, I don't have an Apple Watch. Um, that said... I'm really just looking to see what the next generation brings. Okay. So, Are you secretly laughing at us every time we're wearing no, them? No, no, not laughing. <laughs> I, I definitely would be happier if I had one on my wrist. Uh, I just a little bit felt like I wanted to see what the, the next generation brought to see if it was uh, a little more compelling for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so the last thing, 9.3 has been in beta for a while now, and they mm-hmm. finally uh, released it to those of us who aren't in the beta program. Uh, so what, what's 9.3 have? So iOS 9.3 has some pretty cool stuff. Night shift mode, which, um, so this is a, a software, um, that's been available on desktop computers for a while that will shift your screen lighting temperature based on the time of day, because it's been shown that if you are exposed to like bright blue light at night, it can mess with your circadian rhythms and you won't sleep as well. So this just counterbalances that and we'll have a warmer light in the evening and morning, I think, and a cooler light during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so to differentiate this between the true tone, this doesn't necessarily create a true white. In other words, if you took a white piece of paper and you put it in, like, in the evening time, it mm-hmm. won't necessarily be the same color as a phone in night mode. So- I'm curious how true tone and night shift interact. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, but... <laughs> Seems like that could be a problem. Maybe. I'm sure they've thought that one through. But what this does is it gives everything kind of a yellowish tone to it, and it makes... Basically, they've done some research, and they being some scientists, and I don't really know who, uh, but basically they found that it's, I think, blue light in particular mm-hmm. activates 
some chemicals in your brain that makes you think it's daylight and, and makes messes up a little bit of your internal clock. And so they've had this for soft, they've had the software for computers. I use it, it's called Flux. Um, so I've been using it on my laptop for a few years now. I've been really happy with it because basically mm -hmm. in the evening time, it's just kind of a softer light and it doesn't, it's not as bright, it's not as jarring. Uh, and I don't know if it helps me sleep better or not, but I've liked it. But so that's coming to the iPhone. No, you can tell us why you hate it now. Yeah. So, you know, I come from, uh, from a design background. My father was a graphic designer, you know, my brother's a programmer designer. Um, and, uh, and so having, having the colors shift naturally with the day and true tone is something that to me seems really appealing. Cause it's always a true white, which a designer because would it's like. A true white. And so it feels natural in the space and designers are used to bringing things into different spaces to bring a different color out of an object. That said, when something unnaturally just shifts to yellow, <laughs> it a little bit makes me want to throw up. So it just feels like, it, to me, it just feels like it's an old, worn out, like 80s type of device. It makes the screen look a little bit 80s. It makes sure. the screen look a little bit 80s. And to me, it's just <laughs> sort of like, I don't really need an 80s relationship with my iPhone. <laughs> and I don't have that much trouble sleeping. So, uh, you know, you not, not a big problem for me. So I'd rather just keep it the regular color. <laughs> yeah, I will make sure in our daily tips to teach you how to disable this if you're if you fall into the NOAA camp and don't want it. Mm -hmm. A few other really nice features for iOS 9.3, you can now lock notes. So you can lock can you lock individual notes? Yay. I yes. know, thank God. So mm -hmm. it's been one of those things where uh, you couldn't lock notes. So anything that if you wrote anything private in your notes, if your phone was unlocked, anybody could read it. So now you can lock individual notes, which is I actually awesome. think you just can lock the notes app. We'll have to check that. Uh, okay, we'll have to look into that. But definitely you can lock notes app at least. And if you have good. a device with Touch ID, you can use Touch ID to unlock your notes app. Yeah, and that that's so huge because it's like, I like notes. I use it frequently and I'll just jot down whatever thoughts are in my mind pertaining mm. to whatever I need to write down. And sometimes they're pertaining to things that I don't want anybody to be able to read. Yeah. Right. And I don't, I don't know this for sure, but my guess is... Uh, that they went ahead and did research and realized that a bunch of people saved their passwords in their uh -huh. notes. Yeah, app. totally. And uh -huh. those people are so exposed. If you ever hand over your phone to somebody that's a little bit savvy and you don't keep your eye on them the whole time, then they can quickly look in that notes app and, you know, take note of, of what you have <laughs> there. And if that's a very common thing, I, I know that back when the sort of sticky notes came out on computers, both my parents and a bunch of other people that I knew decided that that was the perfect place to store all of their passwords. And so yeah. everybody seemed to have their passwords on these sticky notes that were just so easily accessible <laughs> by everyone. So I'm, I'm definitely in favor of this, even, even just for the small percentage of people or potentially a large percentage of people that do that. A few other changes they now have. The health app now has app recommendations for different metrics, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've improved CarPlay. They have Apple Music has a little bit more functionality. And Maps now has uh, nearby. nearby, which they've had, of course, in iOS for a while. So those were good improvements. I just wrote an article on CarPlay. I have CarPlay. And... They don't have Hey Siri for CarPlay. And I could not believe that they didn't just push that out. Isn't that the whole point? That's the whole point. It should be. Yeah. yeah maybe coming with WWDC and iOS 10. I don't know. But I was surprised yeah. by that. Uh, so I think, you know, as far as a 0.9.3 update goes, this is pretty significant. Yes, I agree. I updated right away. 
Yeah, I'm about to go do that. My phone died during the uh, announcement. <laughs> so I'll be doing that as soon as we sign off. All right. All right. Well, any last thoughts on the announcement? What do you overall, what do you guys think? Are you was this a successful announcement? Were you happy? This was a short announcement. Yeah. It was only an hour and the rumors were so we had heard everything ahead of time. So I was a little bit underwhelmed just in that usually there's a little bit more of a surprise factor in the announcement. But um, I thought it was cool that there, there are better deals, that these devices will be more accessible to people in the past. I mean, there's still an investment, but I think that's, that's probably the most exciting thing about the announcement. Yeah, I think, you know, just for the, the people that really pay attention to these announcements as, you know, Apple keynote watchers, I think it was interesting. This one had a lot less showmanship than, mm-hmm. than they normally bring to announcements. It felt a little bit like a maintenance announcement. Yeah. <laughs> like the things that were launched weren't necessarily like the brand new thing in that category. There wasn't really, I mean, there were new things, but they didn't feel like it was the top of the line new. It was sort of the middle of the line or the back of the line new. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, ha- it just sort of had this interesting maintenance feeling about it. And, and Tim Cook looked like he was potentially a little bit less prepared, a little more time spent with his head in the teleprompter at the bottom of the stage. And, and the uh, the media seemed a little bit less engaged in terms mm-hmm. of audience clapping. And there stuff were a lot like of that. pauses for applause, and the applause just no, didn't come. Yeah. yeah. So wow. it, the, as as a presentation and as a keynote, I felt like it fell a little bit short, and they're probably going to get, I would imagine, less buzz as a result of that. So just yeah. just from the. Uh, and I don't know if they preemptively knew that, and so they didn't spend quite as much time trying trying to get it. But it felt a little bit like they, um, like they, you know, checked the box and, instead of really prepared something to get people excited about. Yeah, yeah, this was an interesting announcement for me because I, I'm kind of of two minds. On one hand, I think both of the new products launched are solid offerings. I think that. I think the iPhone SE might end up being the best-selling iPhone when it's all said and done. I think that enough people are willing to save money for a smaller screen that it's going to be really popular. I think that the iPad Pro was too big and the 9.7 is is the right size for it. So I think they, they the products they announced were good. Yeah. Um, but they weren't sexy at all. There yeah, was not I think important, but not sexy. Yeah, yeah. they were. There wasn't any innovation. I mean, the true colors was cool, and that was innovative. But like, that was it. You know. Other yeah, than that, true it was tone like is like the coolest thing. Yeah. The announcement. I think that's a little troubling. It was like we've lowered our prices. We came up with, you know, we made our iPhone a little bit smaller, and we made our iPad a little bit smaller. It felt like a press release. Like it really didn't feel like an Apple announcement. They And they didn't even try to make it an Apple announcement per se, which is like generating all the buzz. So, you know, as someone who follows the industry and watches every th- single announcement, I feel a little bit let down. But as far as for Apple customers go, who might not necessarily watch these announcements, but buy their products, yeah. they came out with good products. They did. They really yeah. did. So I don't, I don't know how to feel about that. I feel a little bit like, oh, I'm worried this is kind of the death of Apple in like the the culture that Steve Jobs created of every, as much as I roll my eyes that every new product is revolutionary, at least they were trying to make the products revolutionary. (laughs) I know. Um, Whereas this one was like, you know, they didn't, they just wanted to offer like a little bit cheaper, a little bit smaller and that's fine. But we'll see. But I I also feel a little bit let down by it. Yeah. I feel like, 
you know, in the fall, it better be revolutionary. Yeah, they better revolutionize something. Yeah, yeah. they got to bring the magic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, I agree. It does put more pressure on the fall because they kind of didn't do anything that exciting this time around. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Let me give you a few things to do before you leave. First of all, subscribe to our podcast. We are bi-weekly now, so we'll be back with you in another two weeks. Second of all, um, let us know what you thought about all these products. Send us an email, podcast at iphonelife.com. Third of all, go to iphonelife.com slash daily tip to subscribe to daily tips. Also, uh, iphonelife.com slash subscribe to subscribe to our print magazine and iphonelife.com slash insider to subscribe to iphone life insider and thanks everyone for tuning in all right see you later thank you